a Superman action figure in a toy coffin, a blue shirt and red jacket, a first flight in the sun above the Arctic tundra. These are some of the moments that define my Superman fandom. Together on this podcast, we journey across time and media to examine, discover, and reconsider the creative visions that have shaped the Man of Steel. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. This is part two of Crisis Till Death, an eight-part weekly event. Last week, we took a look at John Byrne's work on the main Superman title. This week, we're going to be taking a look at action comics and adventures of Superman during that same period of time. I'm joined for this episode by returning guest, Bernie Gerstmeyer. You might recall that Bernie joined me to discuss Superman in the Bronze Age a few episodes ago, and he's back for this episode as well. This is essentially a conversation in two parts, so I decided to sort of bifurcate it. For the first half of this episode, you will hear Bernie and I talk about John Byrne's work on Action Comics, which essentially functioned as a team-up title during that period of time. Um, And then in the second half of this episode, Bernie and I turn our attention to Adventures of Superman, uh, initially written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by Jerry Ordway, and then uh, eventually uh, co-plotted by Byrne and Ordway, uh, and again with art by Jerry Ordway. Um, You'll hear in this episode that Adventures of Superman really was somewhat of an unexpected delight uh, for me as a reader during uh, this reading project. I, I... I enjoyed the reading project for the most part overall, uh, but Adventures of Superman was really a standout uh, for reasons that you'll hear discussed uh, shortly. Uh, So uh, without further ado, here is the first part of my conversation with Bernie. Bernie, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So we are here to discuss the John Byrne run on Action Comics issues 584 through 600, I have some thoughts. My feelings towards these action issues are a bit different than my feelings towards the Superman issues that I talked about with Dan Greenfield, and we'll get into all of that. But you know, as always, I wanna I wanna toss it to you, and I wanna I wanna get your overall impression. What was it like? Because you, I know you've read this stuff before. So what was it like going back? How did it hold up? What were your overall impressions of Burns' work on Action Comics? It was. Fun because I I vividly remember having a few of these issues growing up. So in our last podcast, we talked about like when I got to go to the hardware store, and that was like, okay, Bernie, go pick out a book with your brother, and then you know just keep yourself busy while I'm go buying a sawzall or whatever my dad was doing. But um, I specifically remember and and going through, I loved. See, I used the trades. I don't know if you what you read out of, but I specifically have. There's the Man of Steel trades that they he they did nine volumes of the hard thing was they combined all of them kind of together at the same time because some of them connect story-wise but action i vividly remember some of the covers because similar to what we talked about with dc comics presents every issue was superman and and it was a specific character um so you got superman and checkmate you got superman and the metal men and i I personally loved that growing up because it was very clear who the story was going to be about. It was very clear what you were going to get when you saw it on the spinner rack. You're like, oh, cool. This one's Booster Gold. And, you know, in some cases, that's as far as the coolness went. (laughs) Um, In other cases, we found some really great stories that were either good standalone stories or what we now start seeing in the Superman universe is cross continuity. So they're forcing you to purchase 
action comics, adventures, and possibly Superman. So you're definitely getting three books a month. But that was my first take was it was cool to see ones and duns, but then they also started doing good new gods crossover stories with adventures. Um, we, I, I believe there were a few booster, maybe a booster gold one that was two issues. Um, and then of course, Action Comics 600, which I have a lot to talk about. There's a lot of cool stuff in there, I think, that were just kind of neat touch upon stories that we could talk about. So cool. I'm glad to hear that, you know, you overall had, had a good experience uh, with these. Yeah, I was less enamored. I mean, to your point, you know, action during this period, you know, it functioned as a team up title. So like you said, every issue was Superman teaming up with, you know, the, the Spectre, the Phantom Stranger, Booster Gold, the new Teen Titans, and so yeah. on. And they were, like you said, primarily, uh, you know, self-contained stories. There were, you know, a few two-parters. There were a few issues that um, tied in with with another series. For example, one of the issues of action uh, leads right into an issue of Booster Gold by Dan Jurgens. Mm -hmm. Uh, that being said, I read this uh, the same way I, I read the Superman issues and the same way I read the Adventures issues, like really in a in a vacuum, uh, essentially. I was not reading them in publication order. I read each title on its own and mm. uh, with a few exceptions. Uh, but for the most part, I found that they they read just fine. I guess for me, and I, I don't know that this is even so much a criticism. I, I think that action served its function well, it lived up to its title. There was a lot of action. These were very action-packed issues. Uh, at the same end, it also, by being a team-up book, it allowed, um, you know, allowed Byrne and DC generally to, you know, introduce all of us to the post-crisis versions of of a lot of these characters and to use Superman as the vehicle for that. So you get to get a sense of Superman's place in the DC universe, and you get to meet the post-crisis versions of a lot of these characters. Even though, again, like a lot of them had their own their own titles and everything. Um, so, I mean, if that's the function to be an action-packed team-up book that introduces you to the DC universe, it succeeds. I guess yeah. for, for myself personally, you know, I far more responded to the Superman issues because that was where we spent more time in Clark's head. That's where we spent more time with the supporting cast. So for these stories, I just didn't feel like there was much meat on the bone, you know, to really sink my teeth into. And so I didn't hate the reading experience, but I wasn't that... I just wasn't that enthralled with them. They were just sort of okay for me. Yeah. It, differing from talking about the Bronze Age, I feel like they had a lot of notes on one issue. But then I'm reading these and I was like, huh, I have three things to say and that's all. <laughs> like there wasn't there wasn't a ton. You know, I, I have I had a few things over the course of the gosh, how many how many issues was it? So I guess it was eighty four to six hundred, so I mean, it's a, it's 14 issues. It's a lot of issues. Um, how do you want to break things down? How do you want to look at them? You want to look at the standouts? Like what were like kind of important moments, special things? I'll be perfectly honest. I'm game to do, to, to take any approach. There were really only a couple of stories where I really had like, strong opinions on. Uh, specifically yeah. the Mr. Miracle Big Barda two-parter mm, and the issue yeah. where Lois goes to Smallville. Those are the ones where I really had the most thoughts um, but other than that, I mean, I'm happy to, to kind of go in any direction. I mean, I guess which, what were the stories that stood out the most to you, either positively or negatively? Like what were the, what were the real, uh, standouts? The, like you just said, the positive ones were the big bar to Mr. Miracle. I have a lot of notes on that actually. Wait, those um, were positive? Just, <laughs> no, I, I, I was, I kind of thought they stood out because it was different. I thought it was the first time we're seeing something this way. It was positive in a sense that. I had lots to talk about, 
there's a lot of weird stuff though in this one um that i don't think those two books would be written today um for various reasons no all right let's start with these two issues because i I think uh you know it's funny because i've read about this two-parter many times over the years but this was the first time that i actually read the story um for anyone who's not familiar or needs a little refresher um, Big Barda is uh, kidnapped and mind controlled by this uh, cast out from apocalypse named Sleaze who lives in the sewer. And he uses his mind control to force her to make these pornographic movies and yeah. eventually uh, takes control of Superman and is about to have the two of them make a movie together uh, when Mr. Miracle intervenes. Um, so it's a story that I know has been written about a, a lot. I mean, there's definitely a very heavy ick factor you know across these two issues and i agree with you totally i don't think this is something that would be written today i mean rightfully so it it it, um it just really leaves you with a with a pretty sick sense was my experience reading it yeah i i felt like i don't want to say they did a good job of leaving things to your imagination but i was i was surprised as i'm reading it going like oh that's that's a direction I'm very surprised that DC even signed off. I mean, again, we're still talking, I, I think it's 88, maybe late 87. Yeah, around right it around just, that time. It, just, it still seems like it's we're, we're in a modern time that I don't, I, I was kind of surprised DC would sign off like, hey, like there's this alien that's from Apocalypse. That's good. That's got kind of a cool side business going on with a porn shop. I'm like, that's that's a weird Superman story arc to sell to publishers so i'm kind of surprised that even happened um as i was reading it did you get this weird sense did you read spawn ever no there's the the sleaze character reminded me a lot of clown who is this demonic little creature that is from hell that is always kind of taunting the main character and kidnapping people and killing them and taunting them but i had that really sick creepy vibe but this takes it to like an even more like you said icky factor um i also feel like it, it closes up really quick like there's this stuff going on and then it's like boom like you're just taking care of it's done and it wasn't even really addressed like the moral there wasn't a moral of the story kind of ending that disturbed me a little bit it was more like oh everything's okay and well we got we don't know where sleaze went but i just don't i don't feel like they talked about that enough even in a sidebar I agree with you. And, you know, lest anyone think that, you know, we're unfairly judging an older story by today's standards. I mean, I feel like, and I, I, like I can't answer this, right? I didn't read it at the time, but I feel like even if I did, I feel like it would leave a really poor taste in my mouth. And in, in part for, for what you said that, you know, if there was more of a point to it, I think it would be a little bit more palatable, maybe. But you know, there's, there's a lot that is implied. I mean, first of all, we find out that Bart has been under his control for two days long enough mm-hmm. for them to produce movies that are sold. And, yeah. you know, at one point, you know, Sleaze approach, like he, you know, approaches her and like starts to touch her. And she's like, no, not again. I mean, really implying like bad stuff. Yeah. And it's the sort of thing that maybe there's a story subsequent to this that explored, you know, her reaction to this. I don't, I'm not aware of one. I and and I, so. and I think that's the sort of thing. It's like, if there's at least something meaningful that comes out of it, but it really seems like she's just victimized and then it's just forgotten about. Yeah, I read it. I read it at night. And then the next day went back to it. I was like, did I like, 
I, am I missing something? And I kind of skimmed through. I was like, no, it's that's really dark. And uh, again, very out of character for even what was going on both sides before and after those issues. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to like now just let it rest and go, okay, that was really icky. Let's move on to better things. Yeah, I don't, and it, it's, I guess I'm glad that I read it because like I said, I mean, I've read mm -hmm. articles about it, you know, I mean, the whole thing, yeah. it's, you know, it's the story where Superman and Big Barda almost make a porno. I mean, like that's, that's the yeah. story. So, you know, I, I guess I'm glad yeah. that I finally actually read the material itself. And I don't mean to make light of any of this, but there was an aspect to the story. I mean, that was gross. But there was an aspect mm -hmm. of the story that I was like just scratching my head and it really, you talk about suspension of disbelief, this just shattered that where, you know, Bart is missing, Mr. Miracle comes home, dark side mm -hmm. is sitting on a chair yes. in the living Isn't he room a paper? with a, he's got like a glass of wine. And he's yeah. got one of these VHS tapes featuring Barda. And he explains that like his agents, like, I don't know what, yeah. I don't know what these agents do. Like they keep, they keep abreast of the latest porn releases and they share them with dark side. Yeah. I mean, it made no sense. <laughs> well, and okay. Was it, I don't know if it's this issue. I feel like there's another Mr. Miracle in our run. Was there? Yeah. The new gods. Um, I feel like at a certain point it's neat because we do get a little bit of like the quick, where did Mr. Miracle come from? Like, who is he? What's his backstory kind of deal? I mean, clearly there's a, a history on Apocalypse that he was supposed to be kind of one of their head henchmen, but then was torn away because he wanted to escape. Uh, I, I guess somehow another person, I think on Earth through a portal, pulled him back, taught him all this escape stuff. For, for listeners, Big Barda, she's one of the Furies. She's like Lashina. She's basically Granny Goodness's uh, again, woman team of just destroyers. So I did understand that Darkseid was kind of like pissed, like, uh, hey, just a heads up, you should know about this. This is not okay. She's one of ours. Make this make this right. It was weird, though, He how it was just so colloquial. Like, Darkseid really is just sitting on the couch, or I think it was a recliner. I feel like it was, I think he was sitting yeah. in the recliner. That, but that was odd to me, and it was odd at first, like, oh, Darkseid's kind of, I don't think nice is the right word, but he's going, hey, like, do you know what's going on here? And like, it's, but then I'm going, oh, and then it's also weird. He's just hanging out in Scott Free's house. Um, but yeah, I, it, it's just, an, I'll be honest, Anthony, it's an odd story. Like it, I don't understand why it was needed. Yeah, I don't, I was, it, it I know it just felt uh, off and, and out of place. And even Sleaze's whole plan i mean so he's running yeah. this porn business he he references like raising enough money to build an army presumably to try to return to apocalypse where he's been cast out for us like what it, none of this really tracked it did make me think of i don't know if you ever watched the hbo series the deuce oh no but it uh it was very reminiscent of that it's uh, a, a david simon show created the wire and uh it was, yeah. it's a recent show it ran for three seasons and it's all about uh prostitution and the rise of porn in new york city in the 70s and 80s uh, but oh. it had very, like, it, I felt very much like I was back in that world, but not, not in a good way. Uh, but yeah, so that, you know, that was a story that stood out. I mean, not, not for the right reasons, but uh, yeah, just, a, just a lot of, a lot of odd choices in that one. Well, I think, I think we might've talked, was it earlier this week? And I feel like you were reading action mm -hmm. and was that where you were going? Like, this is 
This is kind of a hard sell right now. It's hard to it's hard to push through these. Um, Adventures is better. We'll talk about that. Um, but yeah, the, the actions, let me look. So the actions that stood out to me were the demon uh, issue. Um, the booster gold for a few interesting reasons. And really a dash of checkmate and a lot of action 600. <laughs> But uh, that's that's about all I got, man. Out of fourteen issues, that's not saying a lot. Or sixteen, Six, sixteen issues. Yeah, and we, only, we so we skipped one. There's one issue that um, is part of a crossover that involves Legion, and it involves the Pocket Universe Superboy. And I have plans for that right. down the line, so we, we skipped that. Right. But otherwise, uh, yeah. So about sixteen or so issues. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess going back to what I was saying before, you know, these I found these stories to be primarily plot driven there really wasn't much in the way of character development and i don't know you know unless i was missing something i didn't really feel like there was much insight into these characters or dynamics in much of these issues like because again you know you can use a team-up story to you know reveal something about the characters the way mm -hmm. they interact and i just i didn't really get that in most of these issues and so it right. really just came down to the plots and they were fine i mean you know the first issue yeah. of this run is with the teen titans you know, Superman seemingly has, I'm, and I'm just laying this out just to give people an example of like one of the issues that we're yeah. talking about. Um, but, you know, Superman seemingly has gone, gone rogue. He's tearing up Metropolis. The the new Teen Titans, first with Cyborg and then with the others, intervene. Um, and ultimately, we find out that there is this paralyzed man who has tricked Superman, <laughs> lured him into a trap and used the device to switch bodies with him. And he's drunk with power and he's destroying the city. And eventually, of course, Superman is able to get back into his real body. There was a moral to that story because Superman, mm -hmm. you know, really impresses upon this guy. Like, look, you know, you weren't, quote unquote, handicapped because of your, your physical, you know, disability. Right. But rather because of your mind, your spirit, the way you use these powers when you had the opportunity. So there was at least a lesson there. But, you know, I mean, that was, you know, that was the issue. It's, it's quote unquote, Superman destroying the city. Titans try to stop him, switch bodies. You know, it was, it was fine, but it just wasn't, yeah. I didn't find it particularly interesting. So that's just like one example, I guess. Well, and keep in mind too, and, and as people are reading these, if you're going back and reading these trades or doing a dive into this, this era, we got John Byrne writing two books a month. Okay. So Superman, which you're already talking about also he did plot and art, all right? Now in action, he did plot, and then I think Dick Giordano did the did the pencils, right? No, he inked it, but Byrne, Byrne, Byrne penciled it. Oh, action. Byrne did, yeah. that's right, Byrne did do everything, so. Yeah, no, he's I writing hate, and drawing hate, two monthly books, yeah, no, no, yeah. And I hate to be this way, but anytime I've seen that happen, one of them suffers. One of them is done quicker, one of them has less meat. Yeah, but so. but and and again, I, you know, I really want to be clear with this. And for people who love this run, you know, that's great, right on. And and the thing is, I think for what it seems like it was intended to do, I yes. think it did it well. I guess I just wasn't that interested in what it was, you know, what it what it was about. Yeah, I went in going in with low expectations because I knew mostly they were one one shot stories. Um, the cool thing, like I said earlier, where, oh, we, we, we get to see some characters we don't always get to see interact with Superman. Some of them were better than others. Um, when I got to the demon issue, I want to talk about that just for a second. So if you compare the, the pacing of some of the Bronze Age stories and the pacing of John Burns' stories, a lot happens quickly. 
So that what I noticed right away in the demon, it was like a really good example of storytelling, how it just moves. Like a lot is happening. Uh, there's kind of cool instruction in dialogue boxes or thought bubbles and that kind of stuff that move the story along. Um, we see Morgan Le Fay come back into the, into the mix. So again, it's, I just noticed the pacing of that book was the first like, oh, okay. Like a lot is happening quickly. Um, but beyond that, there's not a whole lot much to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if the best compliment is like, you know, it was really quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, I hate to be this way, but like, I feel like there are some comics that I read that I, I don't want to think too much. I, I, I want to have a, a 15 minute like flip through. Oh, that's some really cool art. Oh, that's a great big splash panel. I love seeing that character again. I don't, I don't, I don't need, you know, a, a huge deep dive Shakespearean approach to Superman. I just need a book before I fall asleep. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, Liz, I hear you and you know, I'll be honest, unless we were going to get different stories, but if these were the stories that we're working with, it's like, yeah, it would have really been a slog if they were very dense. So they didn't, they were well paced. I, I will give them that. Right. And you know, here's the other thing too. I think you know, you're talking about a team up book. Your mileage will vary depending on the characters selected and your affinity for them or, or otherwise. Right. For myself, I'm not the biggest Etrigan fan. I've never been. Mm. Um, I don't much care for the Phantom Stranger. I don't like Silver Banshee. There were a number, I don't, I, I, I've never been able to get into the Metal Men. So that was- Oh, I just was, I, I was just gonna ask, and I didn't want to offend anybody listening, but I'm like, I I wish I want somebody to come up to me and tell me they're a Metal Men fan, because I can't find any. I, I I can't get into it. I've tried. I hate the whole concept, and it always comes off as campy and boring to me. I don't get it. That's like, the, okay, they're men and they're metal. Like, that's the thing. And yeah, I know it's funny. I Similarly, and you know, I, you know, I've spent a lot of time in comic shops. I've never talked to anyone who's like, I love the Metal yeah. Men. I hope there are those, listen, I hope there are those fans out there because otherwise, what the hell are we doing with these metal men issues? Yeah, how? <laughs> and and they're and they're an old commodity. They're not new to this era. They've been around, I think, since late sixties, early seventies. The only somewhat funny slash creepy part of the metal men is when is is platinum or the girl Tina? Yeah, I think that's one. Her weird like always hitting on Doc Magnus. And then like even John Byrne draws her like super slinky. And I'm like, oh, no, no, thanks. It's just odd. Like it's, I, I, I found myself kind of somewhat cheering when some of them seemed to be exploded and gone. I was like, oh, tin is gone. Great. One less metal man. Like, so. You know, I, I, I'll admit, I just got to the point where I was like, you know, I don't care enough to try to learn who these characters are and keep them straight. Yeah. So if I didn't even, I, I, you know, I didn't even bother, but again, you know, so that's an example where, you know, that was another roadblock to my enjoyment was I wasn't so into yeah. it. All. Now there were other characters that I am just, you know, inherently more interested in. So there were two issues. One did lead into the other, you know, there's the Hawkman, um, you know, Hawkgirl mm -hmm. issue where uh, Superman helps them fight off this Thanagarian invasion. And at the end of the issue, right. uh, the Hawks blast the, the invading armada across the universe, but Superman is caught in that blast. And so at the beginning of the next issue, he's been flung across the universe and he's found by the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like that idea, I guess, was cool. And you see how the pieces of the DC universe connect. But again, I mean, there I, I don't know that I could tell you much more about those issues. No, I, okay, this is, 
this will kind of tell you. So we get to the Hawkman Hawkman issue. All, all I write was need Superman's help. Soup's kind of sarcastic. Hawkman won't really have it. Lots of action continues in the next book. And then all I write for 589 was ugh, Green Lantern Corps. <laughs> I, I'm excited. HBO Max is going to try to do a series that I bet could lend a lot of character development and do that. I wish, I don't know. I love Green Lantern. Cannot stand anytime there's a Green Lantern Corps book. I don't know why. It just like, it does never, it never interests me or holds me enough past two, three issues. I'm like, okay, go back to Kyle Rayner, go back to Hal Jordan. We're fine. It's funny you say that. I mean, I don't, I don't share those exact sentiments about the Green Lantern Corps, though I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan, but I, I like, it's funny, I guess if I had to sum it up, I like the, I like the concept of the Green Lantern mm-hmm. Corps more than right. I actually like the execution and I like the stories for the most part. Uh, I too am looking forward to the HBO series. I hope that it's good. Um, but yeah, so th- that was that, th- that little, I don't know if you even call it a two-parter, but those two issues, yeah. yeah, that's what was going on there. And I'm with you. I, I love, like, I guess... I guess I love the mythology of the Green Lantern core, Oa, um, the Guardians, like all. It's great, but again, it doesn't it doesn't light my fire enough to be like, ooh. I mean, I found myself kind of skimming and flipping a little bit more on those issues and going, did I did I miss something important? So, um, how'd you feel about the Booster Gold issues of five ninety four going into number twenty three? Uh. Yeah, I didn't really have a strong feeling about them. I guess I enjoyed them well enough. I like the idea of another Metropolis-based hero. And I mean, what was kind of cool here was, unlike the other stories for the most part, where, you know, Superman's really teaming up with the hero or fighting a villain like Silver Banshee. I mean, here it's another hero, but one he's at odds with to an extent. I mean, we find out the booster he's fighting initially is not the real booster, but even the real right. booster is not the biggest Superman fan. So, uh, yeah, no. I, I, overall that, that, that was one of the, the, the stronger areas I would say of the run for me. What about you? I know you had some notes on that one. No. So here's the thing. Booster gold is kind of an enigma of a character if you really think about it. So, and if, and if, if you listen to our last cast, you'll hear like, I, I, I love justice league unlimited. They do a great episode. Um, gosh, it was just talking the same thing about how is the greatest story never told. I think it was maybe episode, but it's Booster really wants to be this the hero in the spotlight all the time. The problem is Booster is a hero for hire, and it, the the way I've tried to explain it to people, they're like, "Why would you like Booster Gold?" I was like, "Well, take Bruce Wayne, when but not Batman. Take Bruce Wayne, put him in a power suit, and try to make him a superhero." Like even Luther is trying to piss off Booster Gold. He's trying to fight out for his, you know, um, different companies at the end. But there's just three things that I think we should talk about. One, Dan Jurgens' art is just always so on point. When when anytime Superman's in a, in a Dan Jurgens book, I was like, and that's that is my Superman. That's who I pay attention to. And even how he draws Booster, it's just incredible. Um, two, one of the best lines in that whole issue was i believe batman says i don't know how the league puts up with you booster (laughs) (laughs) that was i was like yes like finally somebody's talking about that but yeah he's he 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 won't do good things unless he's sponsored or hired to do them so it goes against everything that superman is and stands for so those are the only things i wanted to mention that stand out to me mostly mostly just dan jurgens is great so 
Yeah, that was cool. And, you know, of course, we know, you know, the, the, the incredible tenure that he's going to have on, you know, on Superman. So, yeah, it was cool to see, yeah. uh, you know, one of these earlier uh, issues where he draws the character. That was that was cool. There was something funny in the Phantom Stranger issue. It just it just made me laugh where I think I think it starts Superman's like finishing up some adventure and he goes to his apartment, which side note, there's next to no Clark. Clark Kent in oh. these issues. I mean, like one or two right. where you see him in his in his Clark Kent identity. Uh, again, I think another one of the reasons why I didn't get so into this. But anyway, in this issue, he yeah. comes back to his apartment and he finds the Phantom Stranger there and he's like, I need your help. And Superman's reaction is like, find somebody else. He's like, listen, supernatural <laughs> stuff is really not my thing. Like, I'm tired. <laughs> but it felt like a, re- a very real moment. Uh, and I, I like that a lot. Um, but then too, it's like in that issue, Phantom Stranger doesn't fully explain to Superman what's going on. In the demon issue uh the demon doesn't fully explain to superman what's going on when he sends it back in time it's like issue after issue it's like if you just gave this guy some more information we'd be through this a lot faster he might help you more too like and and what's the (laughs) quote there are some there are some things man was not meant to know and i was like no that's not gonna make him help you the next time phantom stranger it's just again i think i'm with you i never could get into phantom stranger I love the old look of it, but that's about that's about it. I couldn't do it. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, I, I want to, you know, we'll talk more about, you know, any other other issues that you have notes on. But I want to jump for, to, uh, and I don't have the issue number, but the one where Lois goes to Smallville. So this yeah, is five ninety seven. Thank you. Yeah. So this is right after the Millennium event, where you know we find out that Lana and all the other children of Smallville have been agents of the Manhunters and all that stuff. And in one of the prior issues of Superman, I believe. Uh, you know, Lana under the control of the Manhunters rips open Clark's shirt. Thankfully, he's not wearing his costume. She flies out. So, you know, <laughs> Lois naturally is suspicious. She tracks Lana to Smallville and she finds Lana, you know, at home in the kitchen with Superman, not Clark, but Superman. And very shortly thereafter, the Kents show up. And <laughs> this was so funny. It's to the me. best. It's the best. And it I, really is. And I never knew that this was part of the story at, at, at any point, let alone at this time. But Pa Pa comes up with this cover story. Uh, Bernie, would you like to do the honors? What does he tell Lois to help get them out of this pickle? And I love that this was even the first thing that theoretically came to to Jonathan Kent's mind. But like, oh, so we actually found Superman's rocket. And we've been hiding him for years. And him and Clark grew up together in the same house. So, and then Lois like, Wait, so you're telling me they're stepbrothers? Yes, Lois, that's exactly what we're telling you. And she, I wrote in caps, Lois is pissed. Like, she loses it. I mean... It's uh, hilarious to me. It is so funny. So I know I, I used a, a friend's analogy in another episode, and I'm going to do it again now. I, I don't know how familiar you are with the show. We have just finished binging. We are on season 10 with my one of my daughters. So Good man. We watched, right. we watched it when it, when it aired. So All right. So in season four, there's this storyline where, you know, Joey is dating Kathy and then Chandler develops feelings for her and they kiss. And then Chandler confesses to Joey something happened. And Joey goes, did you sleep with her? And Chandler's like, no, no, no. We just kissed. And Joey goes, that's, that's even, worse. that's worse. Chandler's like, how is that worse? And Joey goes, I don't know, but it's the same. That's yeah. what I thought of here. It's like, yep. it's, 
at least the same as saying that Clark is Superman. Yes. Like, I don't know how this helps. I feel like, and I feel like no. it just makes it worse and more complicated that now, like he has to, yes. not only does he have to pretend to be, continue to pretend to be two different people, but stepbrothers, no less. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now it's, <laughs> now it's even more clear that Superman and Clark could be in the same room together. Right. And then, and then later, like you even Lois is still pissed off. She's like, no, you stolen the exclusives from me all this time. You're not taking this one. Do you remember? So that I think it's, I don't, I'm not, I don't know if it was action or another one, but Superman's about to leave. It's the robot Superman. Clark is next to him. And he's like, I'll go with you to make sure we can take care of this. And Lois is like, no, I'm coming with you. You've you two have done enough to me. So then, Robot Superman's carrying Clark and Lois. And I'm like, how how does this make the story better for everybody now? This is hard. Yeah. And it's I, ridiculous. I agree. And it's amazing. I just, I can't believe I, again, I know I haven't read this run in full, but I can't believe I yeah. never knew that this was part yeah. of the story for a moment. You know, I have more to say when, when you and I talk about adventures of Superman from this time, but this yeah. is a, a good point. I just want to mention briefly, Lois really got the short end of the stick during the burn yeah. era she basically has oh. one mode angry yeah across the board like across all and i mean she has a very minimal role in action we only see her really a few times but in superman yeah. and in adventures and when we see her here she's just angry um i really think now, she was not developed nearly as well as like cat grant for example who we'll talk about when we get to adventures right and she is lois is in adventures quite a bit actually but she's part of the gangbuster storyline. And there's a kind of a cool, cool arc happening between her and Jose Delgado, which is great. But Cat Grant basically is a substitute for Lois that we think of as Lois in all of this. I I kind of wrote that I I just don't like Lois at all. And the only time I think I started to have, I put her back on like I'm on Team Lois was part of Action 600 where she's walking through the park and she's really contemplative and she's thinking, you know, I kind of liked being known as Superman's girlfriend, but now I don't, I don't like that somebody else is getting the attention. I don't like that one woman might be in the picture. What do I have to offer that one woman doesn't? And I saw like, Oh, there's human Lois. That's great. But then, then it's done. And I'm like, wow, it took 16 issues for us to even approach that. And I, I, the history that we see of Lois is confident, caring, like always will be there for Clark and always will be there for Superman. So it was it was hard for me to read. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you mentioned Action 600 and that's Burns' final issue of Superman. And, you know, it begins with Superman and Wonder Woman locking lips and then they go off on an adventure and ultimately come to the conclusion that, you know, they're right. not the right fit. Um, right. I, you know, I guess what, what were your thoughts about that issue? And I'm also curious what you thought about the the dialogue between the two of them throughout the issue. So it was odd. Well, first of all, so 599, whatever, what, whatever aired right before aired or whatever came out, whatever came out right before 600, it ends with this big page of Superman kissing one woman. And everybody's like, Whoa. And yeah. Then, it's an issue of adventures that, that leads right into it. Yeah. yeah. So we get to 600 they kind of do the previously on and he lands and he goes right up to her and he plants one on her and she's kind of like, whoa, what's going on? And 
even how he comes off, like, I just been thinking about you. I think this is the, I think that we would be great together. She's like, uh, I'm not sure we're not at that point. Let's. And then, but as they're talking, as usual, something goes down there and they're going to Olympus and dark side shows. And there's a lot of just stuff big, like it's our 600th issue blowout action story that it was okay. Again, I actually was surprised how much I flipped. I was like, okay, okay, okay. Oh, that's neat. <laughs> but I don't know. That's I didn't love the Superman one dialogue at all. I thought it was convoluted. I thought it made Superman look stupid, actually. Yeah. I, so that's that was my feeling as well. And I, too, skimmed through most of it. And, you know, this feeds into my larger frustration that comes up in a lot of these episodes now. Uh, so I don't have any of those Man of Steel trades. Uh, most of them are out of print. I know DC is now putting out new Man of Steel hardcovers collecting this era. Great. I hope they complete yeah. the run. Uh, yeah. but so I read on the app and of course 600 is the one issue in this run that's missing. You would think, you might think uh, that they would have one of their key anniversary what? issues. I read this though, you know, and you know, here's the thing. Normally I would never advocate for any kind of piracy, but you know what? DC, mm. you don't what make you it do? easy to read your shit. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like really getting yeah. on my nerves now as I'm going through these I, episodes. So I found like on read comics online or something, I found the issue. So uh, I read like the beginning and end and most of the middle, I kind of skimmed through. I was more just looking to see how they played out the, the dynamic between Superman and Wonder Woman. Um, I don't know whether it was because Dan DiDio was still in charge at that time, but he did a really good job of like trying to make trades come out the way they should be. Um, the end of the very last, so there's nine Man of Steel trades. The first one is just the miniseries. The ninth one is the last of the run. They stopped doing these trades altogether, but it ends with 600. So it, it, it was smart to do it that way. I, I purposely, Anthony, I don't get the app. I know there's tons of stuff on there possibly that I could read. I've got it all in original copy in bags and boards that I really don't love taking them out to look at, to be honest. But um, yeah, it I, I kind of won't do it for that reason because I feel like I'll get more mad than I will enjoy using it. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it, it's been a source of frustration. I mean, a friend of mine recently asked, you know, if it was worth it. And I said, it depends. It depends what you're looking for. All the new stuff is on there, you know, which is great yep. if you just want to keep right. up. But, you know, for the older stuff, it's it's spottier. It's spottier than I feel it should be for the price point for the, the, the comics that we're talking about. I mean, I'm not talking obscure stuff here. It's action comics. Yeah. I feel very passionately about this. All right, let me get off my soapbox. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm like really getting angry here. Uh, but as far yeah. as, as far as Superman and Wonder Woman, here's the thing. I'm, I'm sort of split on the way Superman comes across because on the one hand, mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know. He, he comes from this small town. He clearly has not had much experience in this realm. No. Um, so it kind of makes sense that he would come off like that at the same time. It's like he traveled the world. He's been living in Metropolis. It's like, you gotta have a little bit more game than that, buddy. Uh, and Wonder yeah. Woman, I just felt like she just did not feel, you know, uh, human, which I, I mean, I guess is part of the point. Like she is, you know, she really is kind of coming from a different place. Um, and so it doesn't, it doesn't play like as, as natural or humanistic as you, as you might want. And I guess that's by design, right. but it just overall came off like, again, I guess the intention was for it to be awkward. So it succeeded. Yeah, it definitely succeeded. I, even when he's flying through the clouds and saying, I've got a date with an angel. And I'm like, 
what's happening here? What's going on? Like, I know <laughs> it's going towards that, but he's just being so weird. And the one woman stuff made sense to me only because I believe at this time, George Perez is doing the, mm-hmm. all the one woman stuff. And he did for those that I mean, his run was very focused on one woman as dealing with, she's basically a God, like she's pretty darn close and dealing with understanding the world of men as a god and being stuck in the middle so her portrayal made sense to me superman did not like it seemed granted he's a boy scout but he also did date lana through a lot of his younger years so that that bothered me quite a bit i i actually enjoyed in 600 the side stories Mm -hmm. so the, the, like I said, the Lois Lane one, this is also when when people refer to Lex Luthor getting kryptonite poisoning, that issue is where it comes from. So he has the signet ring on all the time. He's in a ton of pain. Dr. Kelly tells him, you wanted to stay safe this whole time with your kryptonite ring, but it ultimately is giving you poison now and, and we, you may have to lose your hand. And he's like, what? And he's like banging it down. So. Yeah, but that's that's what I take from it. it's more landmark than special to be honest. Gotcha. Uh, I mean, you know, t- to be honest, I don't really have a, a ton more to say about this run. You know, and I don't mean to be yeah. overly down on it. I, I guess to be honest, I think I I was I just felt let down because I enjoyed the issues of Superman more yeah. than I expected to, and I was hoping that I would have a similar experience here, and I and I didn't. Um, but uh, but anyway, you know, it was what it was. It was a key piece of of this run of comics and Burns' work on the character. Is there anything else that you want to say about uh, Burns' action? Uh, To be honest, the best part of this run, to me now, is is the cover art. I I will switch that out on my walls because I think it's just fun to have up and and do that kind of stuff. But from the internal part of the book, I can, I have the trades, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm honestly not sure I'll ever read those again. Fair enough. And that was John Byrne's run on Action Comics. We'll be right back. Should Dadigans is a weekly podcast by dads sharing their fairly new dad experiences and also just talking about whatever. Listen, relate, and laugh. I was a guest on episode 90, and it was a blast. One of the hosts is a multiple guest of this show, Justin DeVoe. To follow Justin's fitness and cosplay journey, follow him on Instagram at Lobo. And if you're interested in starting or continuing your own fitness journey, check out Iron and Honor on Instagram. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. The Hive Comics and Games is an oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas. Whether it's comic book superhero stories or role-playing in a dungeon, The Hive is where to be. Come tap your mana and face off against the top Magic the Gathering players in West Texas. Hive carries a majority of new comic titles each Wednesday, and has all of your favorite titles in their back issue section. Follow them on Facebook at The Hive Comics and on Instagram at The Hive Comic Shop. If you enjoy this show, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. I also hope you'll consider joining my Patreon community. The support of my patrons enables me to produce this podcast and 
Patrons get rewards too, including exclusive episodes, advanced listens, and more. Sign up today and get instant access to the back catalog. Visit patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. Thank you to all of my patrons. I truly appreciate your support. Now, Bernie, we turn our attention to Adventures of Superman during the Burn era, uh, initially written by Marv Wolfman and later by Burn himself and uh, co-plotted and drawn by Jerry Ordway throughout. Specifically, we're talking about Adventures of Superman issues 424 through 444. Uh, what were what were your big picture takeaways from your reread of this run? Uh, I, I like this a whole lot better than action, um, not just because the storylines seem more cohesive. We're seeing three, four, five part story arcs that are connecting. Um, I, I personally love the supporting cast of Superman. I think whether it's Maggie Sawyer and Dan Turpin, Cat uh, Grant, uh, Dr. Hamilton, we see for the first time. Um, again, oh, Bibbo. Bibbo shows up. Oh, like, yes. And here, so something really interesting that nobody realizes that Byrne and Wolfman did. So Cat Grant, Bibbo, Gangbuster, Dr. Hamilton, Maggie Sawyer, Rampage, Silver Banshee, Checkmate, and the modern age Supergirl as Matrix were all created and introduced during the Wolfman Byrne era. And we think they've been around for, well, I guess it has been years. I mean, they've been, <laughs> I guess it's been 40 years now, but um, they seem like staples if you're a Superman fan, but this is exactly this era for listeners is where they all started. And it's kind of see, kind of cool to see their origins. And then um, Marv Wolfman, man, he, I'm a huge fan because we, we were just talking, you got crisis on infinite earths. As you can see, as you can see behind me, the the massive Alex Ross crisis poster. Yes, very um, cool. We used to have that hanging up in my old comic shop. I used to see that every oh, day. Oh, yep. Nice. Yeah, Alex Ross actually signed it. It's on the bottom left, so that makes me happy every day. Walking. Nice. Um, so, Crisis on Infinite Earths with Marv Wolfman. The very next project he takes over is Adventures of Superman with Jerry Ordway, um, and then once he leaves Adventures of Superman. He then starts his Deathstroke the Terminator run, which not many people remember too, that he not only created the character, he did a 60 issue, maybe maybe 80, I think even, of Deathstroke. But um, you definitely see awesome writing with him and Jerry Ordway. Jerry Ordway is a huge staple too of the Superman universe through the 90s too. So, But um, yeah, how did you feel about this? Clearly, I love the Adventures run, so how do you feel? I was very taken by it as well. Uh, you know, this this whole reading project of the Burn era has been a little bit of a roller coaster for me because I started off going into the Superman read with somewhat measured expectations and really enjoying it. I then hoped that would carry over to the action issues, and it did not, as we discussed. And then yeah. so I came into Adventures kind of hoping that it would redeem the reading project overall. And, you know, I have to say it did. I really enjoyed it a lot, mm. um, especially those earlier Wolfman um, issues. Not that I disliked the Burn ones, but uh, I really felt like there was a lot of good stuff in in this run. Uh, the things that I enjoyed the most, like you, uh, was really the, the treatment of the supporting cast, especially Cat Grant. Uh, I really found that Adventures in particular, like, really gave her a lot of dimension and heart and humanity. I, I really, really loved the role she played. I mean, she emerged as a true love interest that I don't think they really, I think they could have taken it, it further, to be honest. I really think that they they could have done more with that because I, I think it, um, it, it was a very pleasant surprise to see the potential that was there. She throws 
herself at him so much. Like Clark, it's kind of funny because there are even times where he says nothing. He just ignores her totally. But then like she's on his lap. She's and she's not even being like inappropriate. She just so clearly enamored with Clark and wants to be his girlfriend. And Clark's like, yeah, no, I don't know if that'd be appropriate, Kat. It's like, oh, dude, what are you doing? Like, Lois clearly doesn't want anything to do with you. So you should be going with Cat Grant. I, that's the thing. And, you know, you and I touched on this when we talked about the action run. Uh, and this came up also when Dan and I talked about the uh, the Superman issues. You know, Lois really, I, I don't think she was treated very well during this period. She... You know, and it's not that she's, you know, too tough or too angry. It's that it seems, with the exception of those scenes with Jose Delgado, a.k.a. Gangbuster, which we'll talk about, with the exception of that storyline, her character is very one note. I mean, she basically starts off the burn era angry at Clark for scooping the first Superman story. And then just as she starts to warm up to him, like there's always something, whether Clark spending time with Kat or as we mm-hmm. talked about when, when we, we did our discussion of the action run, you know, the preposterous cover story that Pa Kent comes up with that basically Clark and Superman are stepbrothers. And then Lois yeah. feels like, you know, this has all been a ruse. Well, I mean, she's not wrong, but <laughs> this ruse. Right. Yeah, that, yeah, she's that they've been carrying out, you know, against her all this time. And so she just goes, you know, from angry to angry to angry. And I, I just don't feel like, you get much dimension there. Whereas with Kat, it's like, yeah, she does come off as this, you know, you know, vivacious, you know, like party girl. But then, you know, you get to know her, you get to see that she lost custody of her son. She's trying to get him back. You know, she genuinely cares for Clark and for Clark, right? It's not a Superman infatuation. It's really that. And I think she describes him at one point as like, you know, you're, you know, you're a, a true gentleman, like one of the last gentlemen, but you're not, he's not soft. He's not weak. Um, which also, of course, speaks to the way Clark himself was written during this time. But, you know, she right. genuinely like liked Clark. Uh, yeah, I like that dynamic a lot. I wish they went further with it. Um, I feel that like you, you kind of hit on, hit the nail on the head too. Clark isn't treated bumbling. He he isn't super strong and like I I, I think I love the fact that he is a figure that she really cares for and finds attractive and wants to be around. Um, they continue with this a little bit past the burn run with Cat Grant, but it kind of takes a little bit of a backseat to Lois eventually. Because once the burn era is done, something must have happened in publishing or editing that they go like, oh, okay, we're not, do- we're not treating Lois right. And they start to kind of course correct. But, I don't know if you remember this, but there's a heartbreaking issue of about Cat Grant and her son. Oh, I remember. Happens. I was I was I was reading the Superman books regularly. That was shortly after the death of Superman, and I remember yeah, that. I a, I remember as a kid, I was yeah. it, to this day. I mean, you know, it's funny if that's you ask me like like how many issues from that time, you know, can I like really single out that like, I remember vividly? Not a ton, but that one, the Toy no, Man issue with her yeah. son, that was really really brutal. Yeah, and I mean, you would never, I never, as I'm reading it, I mean, you they just killed off Superman, so you know they're taking risks. I was like, wow, like, not only are kids getting kidnapped, but they, they go through with killing her son. And that was, that was devastating. And that changed the character a lot, too, after that, because she became a lot more tortured, which is hard. But seeing her in this, she's so vivacious and fun and wants to be around everybody, and especially Clark, which I loved seeing throughout Adventures. And again, Lois is so focused on Jose Delgado, who 
By the way, I love that Jose Delgado character for various reasons. Yes. And I want to I want to talk about that because honestly the 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 gang war storyline to me was was the most compelling and resonant of this run. But the, the last thing I want to say about Lois in in fairness, I guess to play somewhat of devil's advocate, I really think they overshot the mark, but I have to imagine that part of this was due to you know, so much of pre-crisis Lois was this, you know, Superman's yeah. girlfriend, Lois Lane, infatuated with Superman, wanting to marry Superman, especially in the Silver Age. They really didn't do yeah. her any favors. So I have to imagine that they really wanted to, you know, uh, do a 180 from that. But I think they went too far, you know, in, in the other yeah. direction. And, you know, it's 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 weird to me, I guess, because, you know, you then bring in the cat character. So there's clearly some function that needs to be served here with, with Lois yeah. being utilized the way she is. So, yeah, I think I think they were a little bit off, but it was, I mean, I I guess I never really would have thought of Kat as a viable love interest because, again, by the time, just to put this in context, by the time I come into this, um, just a few years later, I mean, Lois and Clark are engaged. Oh, yeah. Right? So that's, what, that's my starting point here. And, you know, Kat, as you said, you know, would have shortly thereafter go through the loss of her son and every, you know, the, re right. the direction that took her character. You know, when you when you think about other depictions of Kat Grant, you know, Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman, she's there for the first oh. season. Oh, very one note, very over the top. Yeah. You, you know, you don't get that much there. So I guess I've never had like a high opinion of the character or much of an opinion mm -hmm. of the character. So, you know, to see her used here, especially when Lois is really you know yeah. i guess again not serving any of the the functions that you like typically associate with the character i feel like cat grant the character like really stepped up mm -hmm. so but yeah so i want to talk about this this uh the gang war storyline and, and you know yes there are plenty of issues in this run that deal with you know the like the the man of war machines that superman has to fight and uh there's that that greek guy who thinks he's a god and he has the satellite that's controlling the weather like you know there there are over the top yeah. stories like that but <clears throat> but you know there was this i mean multi-issue storyline about you know the gangs in metropolis that you know lex behind the scenes is you know trying to consolidate yeah. and used to do his bidding you know um perry white's son jerry is caught up in this and it's really like a battle for this kid's soul. We have Jose Delgado, this guidance counselor at the high school who lives in suicide slum, who's trying to yeah. you know turn these kids around. He ultimately adopts this costumed identity as gangbuster. He has this relationship with Lois Lane. It was I, I was so pleasantly taken with that storyline, and I, I think the thing about it that was so compelling is that you know this gives this gives Superman a problem. He can't punch. You know, it's like, you know, yes, he can round up, you know, if he sees, you know, these, these gang members robbing a store, he can, he can round them up, but that doesn't solve the problem. That doesn't get at the root of the issues, especially in the suicide slum area. It was really, I, I that was my favorite part of the adventures issues. What about you? Yeah. Let's talk about the fact that can you really think of a Latino character that was, was in the spotlight like that at that time frame? I mean, almost overshadowing Superman himself in Adventures of Superman. Yeah. Um, I think that was a bold, awesome move by the DC executives and, and the editors currently at the time. It might have been Eddie Costanza still. I don't know who it was at that point way back. Uh, I don't Mike, know. Was it was Daniel Mike, Mike Carlin. Mike Carlin was the It was the Mike Carlin. Editor, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, because maybe Eddie took over after that. Or, um, But first of all, I love that. I mean, he was a counselor. 
he was it was a glorified i don't know whether he was a high school counselor or just a communities like youth community group kind of counselor but clearly cared for these kids and then uh, you know you and it's this that you saw white kids latino kids asian kids in these gangs struggling lex is awful as usual and never want to take the blame he always has some other lackey doing it for him he's giving these massive weapons to these kids and trying to turn their lives around jose sees all of it happening and what i love about this character anthony is that this is what if this happened today what happens to jose is what would happen to a superhero if he tried doing this stuff today like it doesn't end well right now for where we leave jose off He's paralyzed from the waist down, messed up his left eye socket. He's broken. Lois, for Pete's sake, had to carry him up the stairs at the last issue we read with him in this run. But how realistic would that be? Think about it. Like, that's probably how that would go down if your high school counselor got pissed off enough and tried to take this on himself. He'd get the crap kicked out of him. Like, even if he was doing a good job for a while, eventually he's going to take he's going to get taken out. I, I, it's great. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And, it, you know, going back to what you were saying before and what I talked about with Dan as well, I mean, just seeing the beginnings of these supporting cast members, because, again, I, you know, I, I knew Gangbuster from from later on, but to see where he where right. he gets to start and, yeah, the, the, the heartbreaking turn his story takes, but sadly a very realistic one. Uh, right. Yeah, his, his story was so strong. And you, know, you mentioned uh, we talked about Jerry White. Side note with Jerry White, I, I, there's one of the issues, I don't know if it's the cops or someone, but they address him as Perry White Jr., yeah. And he's, he's like, no, it's Jerry. Now, there might yeah. be some piece of the backstory that I'm missing here, but it's like, <laughs> you like hate your dad so much. You're like, I don't want his name. I don't want to be Perry Jr. I'll be yeah. Jerry. Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Like, how about Bob? Like, like something that doesn't sound like Perry. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like if your son was Bernie Jr. and he was like, nah, my dad, call me Ernie. No. It's like... <laughs> Bernie. <laughs> how's, that, how's that? How's that? That's not different enough. That's not different enough. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, spoilers. It doesn't end well for Jerry White. Let's just put it that way. Uh, I, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that that's after. Yeah, after this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and sadly, there's no trades. I believe that collect. Ah, I might be wrong. Maybe it's an exile. It might be in that trade, but. Check it out. It's 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 really heart wrenching. That if you want to keep reading down this road, it's good. I will. I mean, that's what the rest of this series of episodes is all about. And between the app and some eBay single issues that I bought, mm -hmm. I have everything. I have everything. So I'm going to read it all. Oh, nice. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh okay, yeah, cool. this is a whole this is a whole thing here. But you know, one you of ain't the, messing around, brother. <laughs> no, this is I, I. This has been a long time coming. This has been the biggest gap in my Superman reading history. Yeah. And uh, I'm closing it. So. There's this great Perry White issue. I love when Perry gets the spotlight. I love Perry. I feel like he's one of the most oh, underutilized, so underrated characters. If I ever have an opportunity to like write a Superman comic, it'd be a Perry White story. Anyway, so <laughs> there's this, you know, this issue where where Perry, um, you know, has exposed this, you know, crime boss and he's going to testify and and right and they kidnap yeah. his son to to force him to print a retraction, and Perry doesn't. Oh, it's he hard. Does it? It's such a tough issue. Yeah. And as a father, I'm like, oh my God, like this guy is so committed to the truth that he's willing, you know, to, and you know, he's, he's racked with, you know, uh, doubt over this and he goes back and forth, yeah. but you know, he's lucky that he catches a break and you know, his son is saved, but uh, that was a real, real tough issue. Well, and I think if I remember it right, have reading it, I, I think he's about to pull the trigger on doing it. 
and then Jerry's released, but then he still can't win. Yeah. Because Jerry's basically like, Dad, I'm your son. You didn't do anything, seriously. And Perry doesn't even get the chance to be like, son, it was really hard. I was about to do this, but like it's like too little too late. And Jerry's like, Well, F you, Dad. And it's like, whoop, gone. And this is there's a lot of hard stuff in Adventures of Superman. It's it's actually pretty gripping. It's really cool. Yeah, it was really uh you know, a, a very pleasant surprise because again, you know, the the run starts with the with the man of war, you know, uh, machines mm. that are attacking the city, and it's like okay, and you know, but once we really get into to the gang storyline, um, you know, it, it is very compelling, and you know, the issue where Jose is is beaten and, and paralyzed, you know, mm-hmm. it's told in a really interesting way where we have this uh, dual story structure where the top half of each page is Lex telling the story about you know, basically, I guess what he hopes will happen or what he thinks Superman is capable of in terms of the destruction and his lack of caring. Um, and then the bottom half is what's actually playing out as as uh, Jose is going up against uh, the supervillain that Lexus has created and set loose. Yeah. And uh, Jose is defending Lois and the other movie theater goers. And, uh, you know, that's where he ends up, again, getting paralyzed. But uh, it's heartbreaking, but a really cool structure. And you didn't, that was definitely an outlier in terms of the way the story was told. And I thought that was a cool one. Yeah, I found myself, when I, when I noticed they separated the two out, I paused and I just read across the entire bottom one first. So I'm like, oh, this is clearly what's going on. And then I went back and read the entire top section it was a really cool contrast of like Luther trying to put his spin on things, which again points out how crazy he is, how maniacal. When they say he's he's just egomaniacal, that's it. Like he doesn't even see things on the same level of all of us. He he has a story he's telling himself. And I think there's even an issue where Superman, they think Superman is dead. I don't know whether I can't remember if it's action or adventures in this run. And I, and I think maybe cause I think Superman falls through and he's in the hospital and they think he dies and Luther loses it yes. because he thinks, and he's like, no, I was supposed to kill him. And, and I was like, wow, that's a great example of why Luther's like, no, it was my job to take him down. The world will know that I killed Superman. I was like, Wow, he must be really pissed off at Doomsday. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I mean, I remember that. I mean, there is a very similar reaction where it's you know, yeah. I, I think the way they play it because at this point in the Superman comics, he's, right, it's he's Lex Luthor the second, right? He's transplanted he's his brain, red haired, yeah, yeah, his brain into his cloned body, and he's posing as his own oh. son. And I think he, like he, he releases some some uh, negative feelings, and it's I think it's perceived by others to be grief over Superman's death, but it's yeah, really no. anger that he wasn't the one to do it, uh, which yeah is so in keeping with with the character. But yeah. you know, so you know, Perry, of course, he yeah, is dealing with his son and has that issue that was again, it was a tough pill to swallow as a father, but it is revelatory about the character of Perry White and you know the. Yeah. the his, his journalistic integrity and his commitment to the truth. I mean, it, it really shows you, show, not tell. It really shows you a lot about him. Um, you know, Jimmy Olsen during this period, I feel like he's still he's still sort of transitioning because he's still jeepers and he's still got the bow tie and he's a real mama's boy. But yeah. he's, he's getting involved with Cat a little bit. There's there's some stuff that goes on there uh, where, he, you know, there's clearly some infatuation on, on his part. And yeah. I think it's an issue of Superman, where like mm-hmm. she invites him over and she's like pouring him wine and like, it's this whole thing, but for the most part, she her sights really are seem to be fixed on Clark. Yeah. 
But there is the issue where Jimmy is at the convenience store uh, and the, some of these gang members, including Jerry, uh, you know, uh, right. you know, rob it. And Jimmy, inspired by the example of Superman, <laughs> chases them down. It's like a motorcycle yep. chase. It's so, it's so over the top. And I felt like... Yeah. I don't know. I know this is a weird reaction, but I felt like, man, this is like an irresponsible message to like put out there for kids. It's like no one was hurt in this robbery. Like you could have just let them go. <laughs> it's I don't know. You would ne- not necessarily want to yeah. set that example, I think. But it was interesting. It was cool to see, you know, him be so inspired. And I may really uh, this may rub some Superman fans the wrong way, but I to this day. I, I can't fully get jimmy olsen i i understand his purpose i i don't i don't i don't know i don't always mind when i see jimmy getting the crap kicked out of him or something happening i was like that's good that's fine and and even cat when she's like i don't go for bow ties and he's like oh bow tie and i'm like he just i feel like he's always out of time like he's not in the right era he's always like 20 years behind wherever we are in the story. It, it's just, I don't know. I don't dislike him. I just don't love him. I, I, I understand. And I'm there. I'm going to do a full episode on Jimmy at some point in the future on the podcast. And we'll really look at him as he's evolved <laughs> over time. But yeah, I mean, I think there are some modern takes on the character. And the first thing that comes to mind, because I read it recently was uh, what Grant Morrison did with him in, in the new 52, where, you know, he and Clark mm. were really, peers and contemporaries and i think that goes a long way i think you know the way jimmy is often positioned is like like the little kid brother sort of dynamic and uh, like what morrison did with him again like they were really buddies like clark and jimmy were truly buddies it wasn't just like clark was the established reporter that jimmy looked up to you know and Mm -hmm. i I think that helps um because yeah i know i'm I'm not always you know so invested in the character of, of jimmy i I have a hard time gauging how old Jimmy's supposed to be sometimes. And I think from from reboot to reboot, they they shifted a little bit. Sometimes you wonder, is he 16 to 18? Sometimes is he 21 to 23? And then like you just said, he's sometimes if they're they're closer in age to Clark and that kind of stuff too. I would I like it more when they're closer in age. I think it works better. I think he's not treated as stupid. I, I mean Honestly, even in the Jurgens run, I think his role in being with Lois when Superman's getting killed, I like that age even. I can deal with that pretty well. But I don't really love it when I can't tell what age he is. That's, that always throws me off quite a bit. That's what it made for me. The Cat Grant stuff made it really weird Yes, for me. I, yeah, I agree. And I, I mean, I think the other reason too why I like them as contemporaries is that like Clark doesn't have many male friends. Oh, yeah. You know, so, I, you know, and it's like, yes, he has, you know, Bruce, but it's like, that's a very different dynamic. So, like, I like the idea of no. him actually having a buddy. I mean, yeah, there's Pete Ross, but he gets very little play. So, yeah, I, I like the idea of, of them being more, you know, kind of on, on the same level. Um, and here, not only do you have the difference in age, but like Clark, again, like years are covered in that Man of Steel miniseries. So it's like, you know, we're yeah. like Clark is deep into his career. He's already a novelist, a successful novelist. People talk about like, oh, I love your yeah. last novel. It's like, this guy gets a lot done. Oh, I'm so glad that came. <laughs> I, I'm glad uh, that popped into my head because I wanted to mention one of my favorite issues of the Adventures run was when Clark is feeling overwhelmed and he's trying to make it mm-hmm. to Smallville for Ma and Pa's anniversary party. Oh, and he, then he misses it. 
And he misses it and yeah. he's so down on himself. And Pa has this heart to heart with him. He's like, listen, like you're doing your best. Like you're a good man. Like it's okay. But I thought, you know, yeah. when we talk about this era generally, and I think the lengths that it went to, to, um, to, to make the character more grounded, more relatable, more human, I think that's a perfect representation of that because it just, it really shows, you know, the, it, something that I think all of us can identify with. It's like, no, we might not be juggling our parents' anniversary party with super heroics, but it's like, we all know what it's like to have a lot of plates spinning and to feel oh, overwhelmed yeah. and like we can't get it all done. And that's exactly what this guy was going through. I love that issue. Okay, so for listeners, this is a really important, if you love the Kents, especially Pa Kent, this is Adventures 430, I wrote an asterisk in bold, big scene with Pa. I even wrote volume four, page 43 to 44. So what Anthony's talking about is this is Clark walks in beat up and they're like, what happened, son? And he said, I've been fighting a war, Pa, a war between a legend and a man and the legend won. And I, I love like any, and he's down on himself, but I tell you, Anthony, like, I love that you brought that up because this, this whole two pages is basically why Pa Kent's important to the Superman universe. Yeah. Like, and that was one of the first things I wrote as my big overarching is that this universe has to have the Kents in it for Superman to work. And I feel the only time the Superman universe works is when the Kents are in his life. And these, man, if you've got, if you've got the app or if you've got the issue, pull out Adventures 430, read those pages. You will not be disappointed. I love that you brought that up, Anthony. Yeah, I I know it's funny because I meant to, and then I, it left me, and then as I was as I was on that that spiel, I was like, oh, I thought yeah. of that. Uh, yeah, and I was scrolling through my my notes, going like, where's the bold one? I swear I have a bold note. Yeah, uh, you know, we can obviously go back to to anything that you, that you want that we've that we've already touched on, but this run also introduces the post crisis brainiac. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Milton so <laughs> Milton Fine, the circus mentalist. Uh, yeah. Which that's the version of, of Brainiac I grew up with. And, you that's know, me too. Yeah. you know, and it's only been like now going back and, and certainly, you know, uh, like the animated series and, and other incarnations, you know, gave us a more traditional take. But still in the comics, yeah. like that's what I grew up reading. So it was really interesting to meet Milton Fine at the circus in his human form. What was, what yeah. was your take on, on that story? I was having some severe, like, I guess it would now be. 35 year old deja vu where i i mean i had adventures 441 again as a kid i didn't have every issue you'd get like spot issues here and there and 441 would mix his pitalic i i've like i looked at the you know in the trades they do the cover in the trade and then the uh the cut issue itself some of the trades have all the covers in the back but I, I saw that cover and i was like whoa and like my childhood when it came back to me i I literally was reading that whole issue having deja vu and then Milton Fine shows up and there's a scene like his girlfriend is like basically going to break up with him and then he his like mental powers he like smashes something against the wall and I was a kid again I was like oh like some this guy's about to erupt and explode and this poor like weird nerdy circus dude is going to like just come out as this super powered Kaluan that we don't know what the heck is happening so I I I hate it and I love it because I, I love the current version of Brainiac, like the Jeff Johns, that vibe kind of. I really enjoy that Brainiac. 
But this was my kid Brainiac, like you just said. I love, I love it, but it's so weird. It, I mean, it it is weird, right? Because like he seems to have some psychic powers on his own, but then yeah. there there is this this Kaluan, you know, uh, psyche that's invading him. But the doctors just chalk it up mm-hmm. to psychosis, right? You know, and then of you know, and and that's the thing. By the end of this issue, he's not even fully Brainiac. That will that will come later in, in issues that we didn't read for this. And you know, he Correct. would play a large role as this version of Brainiac you know, throughout the nineties, I know there's a big storyline in, well, there's panic in the sky. Oh, I love it. Right. Yep. That's, that's calm. I'm, I'm going to be getting to that. I'm looking forward to it. And then, um, well, a story that I did read in the night, I think this was 94. There was the dead again, storyline mm-hmm. is involved. And in. so, yep. you know, this version of Brainiac got a lot of play for a long time. I, I guess I've never given a ton of thought to break. He's never been my favorite villain to be perfectly honest i guess i sort of like the smallville incarnation where he does have a human guise yeah but then he is this artificial intelligence so i feel like that's kind of a nice in between and and you know a way around a limited tv budget to be able to show him <laughs> human form but, but you know. i i've always loved the superman animated series concept of brainiac i love brainiac as a computer form that comes down to the robot version that like cold dead inside like approach because i i remember it from that and i think i think we're all tainted by a dash of nostalgia right like it's like oh that was my first or that's that's who i know as and that's why i like older generations like they're when they're listening to your silver age podcast they're like that was my superman or oh bronze that was my superman so this might be somebody's brainiac. Milton Fine might be our brainiac, but others not so much. But uh, I I find it like wonderfully hilarious. This it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's um uh, you know I I posed this question to Dan Greenfield when we talked about the the Burn mm-hmm. Superman run, but I, I want to get your take on it as well because it's sort of a big picture question of this era, and I, I think it's worth uh, getting another take yeah. on it. Uh. You know, some villains, you know, Mixus Pitalik is a good example. You know, he was brought back in a, in a very recognizable form. Um, but then you have a character like Brainiac that really got reinvented in, in a big way. And then you also have, and this is the end of, of the, the run here, uh, the Burn era, you know, that Supergirl saga with the pocket universe Matrix Supergirl and the pocket universe Zod and the other Kryptonian criminals. And, you know, I guess the question that I, I posed to Dan is, is that you know, obviously they were really stripping down the mythology coming out of crisis, right? And really focusing on Superman as the sole survivor. And, you know, that that makes sense. But then it's like very quickly into post-crisis, we get these, you know, like bastardized versions of of the tradition as as seemingly like a way around, you know, the, the, the mandate of the era. And I guess my question is like, I don't know, is it did it work like was it worth it like what did it make sense to kind of have like the okay there you go (laughs) go for it (laughs) (laughs) no sorry sorry to just like no (laughs) i i I guess i'm trying to think of the best way to explain it okay so i love smallville because smallville was the Superman show that was on at the time. And I learned to love it for what it was and what it set out to do. But now I'm watching Superman and Lois and I'm going, why don't you just give me that then? Like, like I, I wanted Superman and Lois then 
give me that. You're telling me there were no good writers back for the 10 years the Smallville was on? So I guess to, to connect that, I'd rather not have Zod. I'd rather not have Supergirl and wait. Like, make us be annoyingly patient. And look at how they used Supergirl then in the 2000s. Look at how they used Zod and that story. Like, that comes with a punch. Supergirl is awesome for so many reasons across so many writers. Like, why go Supergirl and make us go question mark? And then, oh, it's not Supergirl. Like, it just bastardize is a great word for that, actually. But I personally, I'd rather have zero of it. And I'm more pissed off at Superman 22 because, like, then that that gave Zack Snyder the okay to have Superman kill Zod. So, <laughs> and I know that's gonna we we couldn't go a podcast without bringing up Zack Snyder. So it's fine. It's funny because when I da- did it, it's okay because when Dan and I talked about it, Dan spoke for a, a good little bit about why you know he was okay with the killing of of Zod in in Superman twenty two, but why he had so many objections in in Man of Steel, and I was. <laughs> Sitting and listening very patiently, and then I just said, "Dan, respectfully, yeah. I disagree." And and again, I yeah. think we we can agree to disagree on that. But uh, but yeah, and you know, and so that's how the run ends. And you know, again, Dan and I did talk about this uh, that three part finale it was two, the Superman twenty one and twenty two, and Adventures right. four forty four with the Pocket Universe yeah. and the the Matrix Supergirl and the Good Lex Luthor and and Zod and the others and all that stuff. Um, I mean, I guess I'm just curious, what was your take on the story overall? Specific, I guess, uh, I guess the big picture question that I would love to get your take on is, I mean, mm-hmm. as the end of this burn era, like, was it yeah. a satisfying finale? I, I think it was meant to be. I think that was the plan. I think, I mean, we're now, I mean, ultimately we're two years in. So we're two years in, we're 72 books of Superman. Um, So I guess in a sense, if we only had one Superman book a month, the long game would be we're not going to see Zod for six years. But they're going, you know what, we've we've done quite a bit. Let's bring them back. I I guess I'll I'll contradict myself and I I can appreciate the Zod storyline because it brings in that like other universe side of things, right? And then um, is Superman justified killing Zod and them? I mean, when you go from, what was it, five five billion, I think he said, or something like that. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. And and I'll I'll, I'll go back to Camp Desiato for a second. And (laughs) and, uh, yeah, I mean, Henry Cavill, Superman, probably should have killed Zod because Zod says, I'm gonna kill every person on this planet. So he's going, well, you know, that's it. Um, I I think it was a good end cap. I personally don't like the Supergirl side of it, though. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I I know that like without the Supergirl side of things, it's not the same. I I feel they could have used her differently. Again, I, I guess my argument still is wait on Supergirl. And maybe just do the Zod storyline. Maybe maybe do the Kryptonian storyline, but don't do Supergirl. I think it cheapens it. I don't know why it feels that way because she's not really Kryptonian. I think it makes it a little bit different. 
Yeah, I mean, she's this protoplasm that, you know, takes on the, right. you know, the, the identity of Supergirl and eventually develops her own personality. And then, you know, Peter David did a ton with her in, in that series. Yeah. But, it, you know, and I think for what it was, like, it was very interesting and different. But it's like, yeah, so very far removed from yeah the traditional take. I definitely think you could have done the story without Supergirl, to your point. I, I think you could have. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know for me now and having now read all of burns superman action and adventures yeah i don't know how well the supergirl saga necessarily functions as an end cap to this period because it doesn't no and and and, and, I, and, and just to be clear i'm not saying like oh i expect everything to be wrapped up obviously not obviously this is an ongoing adventure i'm not no pun intended right but just in terms of like yeah. what, what burn had established and was working with like i don't know that it necessarily because you know, the pocket universe came up in that Legion story that we skipped over that we'll I'll go back to mm -hmm. on the podcast in the future. But, you know, mostly dealt with this pocket universe that was, you know, again, removed from from our world. And, you know, Superman's Kryptonian heritage was such a tiny part of of this run by design. Yeah. So it just I don't yep. know. It didn't really feel like thematically it didn't feel like we were getting any kind of full circle moment or anything like that. It, it felt more like an outlier than a than a finale to me. I, I actually probably would have enjoyed this as the first story arc of the next chapter. Yeah. Like, yeah, I yeah. think if, if somebody took this over, start here and make it like a big boom, like kick the door down. We got a new creator and artist. Like, but yeah, like I, I totally agree with you because obviously we're not going to wrap up anything. The character has been around for 80 years, but You've done now two full years, 72 issues almost. And how does John Byrne say goodbye to some people almost in a way? How how do we see what's the next step for those characters? And they're, they're really removed from the equation for three full issues. So I think, I think to the answer to your question, I don't think it's an end cap. I mean, I'm not sure it was meant to be. I, I, I'm not even sure... I think it was a story he wanted to tell as his last story, you know? So maybe not think it was an end cap, but maybe just, hey, I'm going to be done. I'm going on different things, but I really wanted to tell this story. So who knows? Well, and building off of that, I mean, I don't know all of the, the behind the scenes at DC at the time, but, you know, Dan Greenfield was, was speaking about how there seemed to be some, uh, you know, some tension between Byrne and editorial as he was. Le so, I, you know, to your point, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I don't know. If this, perhaps this was not how he intended to end and it just sort of ended up being the end. I'm not that. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But yeah, again, it, in any event, it was it was the ending we got, whether it was the one that we needed right. or, or deserved, but it was it was the one that we got. Uh, and it's like, it's what Superman bringing this formless protoplasm to the Kents. He's just like, bye. <laughs> Yeah. Hey guys, it was like it's like I found this dog in the street. You guys want to take care of it for me while I have to go save the rest of whatever like I'm doing as Superman. Um <laughs> who who takes over? Is is this when Jurgens takes over? Uh yeah, I believe so. I think and I haven't so this will be covered in the next episode, but I haven't gotten there yet. Nice. But I believe I think Roger Stern is on uh 
Superman yeah. and Jurgens is on Adventures or something. I think Roger yeah. Stern and Dan Jurgens now are, are in the mix. And yeah, at, they at, go yeah. back and forth. And action, you know, remains week goes weekly, and Superman is yeah. not in the spotlight for an extended period. So it's it's mainly Superman and Adventures. And yeah, I think it's mm-hmm. Jurgens and Ordway and, and Stern who are the the primary yep. forces at the time. So that'll be my and next I reading project. Like, yeah. They. Oh wow. Now are how are you going from are you going from eighty nine to death or what are you doing eighty nine to like time and time again what are you doing through death and return who 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 did you snag to read five years of comics with you i have so for the next three episodes i'm going to be joined by returning guest scott honig uh who he was on uh, a while back for um one of the jeff Loeb joe kelly episodes and you know he's been a champ with this big reading project and uh, so he'll be joining me for the next three. And then I have uh, the different guests coming up for uh, death and funeral and then rain and return. But, nice. uh, you know, the whole first year of the podcast really for me has been building to this because I wanted to close this big gap in my in my Superman fandom comics wise. Uh, and it's so far, it's been a lot of fun. I'm really excited to see what comes next. I know that, you know, the killing of, of Zod and the others, you know, kicks off this exile storyline where Superman mm-hmm. is racked with guilt over what he's done. And I think. And I, ha- I, re- I read pieces of that when I was a kid, but I'm looking forward to going through the whole thing. And, you know, I, I, to their credit, and whether this was intent, Burn intended this or not, but obviously the subsequent, you know, teams picked up on it um, to really explore the ramifications. You know, we can talk about whether he was justified or not in, in executing them, but yeah. regardless, you know, to get some mileage out of that and to really mine the effect on, on the psychology and, and, and his emotion, I think that's really cool. So I'm looking forward to that very much. You've You've got... The fact, first of all, I'm excited for you, like, because I'll be honest, you do have great reading ahead of you. Like, have you dug in as much yet? How, how far are no, you? No, I in? haven't started. I uh, mean, literally, yeah, I yeah. finished what, what we just talked about now. <laughs> I, I did it today. <laughs> That's what I just read today. But you know what? I don't, I don't like to read too far ahead or watch too far ahead. I like it right. to be nice and fresh. I like to have it up yeah. there. Like, like I'm the flash in Zack Snyder's Justice League holding that charge. I hold that charge and then it comes out in the episode and we're good to go. Oh, you're killing me, dude. <laughs> so, yeah. So you've got Dark Knight over Metropolis coming. You've got Exile. Uh, let's see. Crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite. Yes. Uh, and then that, that takes us right into time and time again. Panic of the Sky. And then he dead. Yeah. So, I mean... It, it's a lot of good stuff. It's a lot, a lot of good read. Actually, it's, I'm so excited for you. You never read it yet. I'm so excited. Yeah, I I, I can't wait. Um, is there anything else that you want to say about the adventures run before we sign off? Oh, let me, um, let me take one last quick look. Um, I really did enjoy uh, Superman is, I guess, how do we, how we want to pronounce it? Kurok? So it's like yeah, fake guess, Iraq. Your guess is as good as mine, yeah. 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 Um, I kind of dug how he, he he pulled a little bit of a Superman four, um, and he's like, "No, this is garbage. Like, you will not bring terrorism this far." And he just goes in and just destroys armies, destroys destroys their military, and says, "No, we're starting over." They don't like that. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, we see Checkmate created, which was pretty cool in this run. Which is now, if you look at um, everything leading into our Suicide Squad movie coming out with with that whole kind of universe that's 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 where we started that here too um gosh i'm trying to think what else uh this this era i think before we finish is really important because john Byrne 
takes a page out of a little of the Bronze Age we talked about with Kryptonite Nevermore, and he does start the short story story arc again. Um, that that led us into the dreaded triangles and the corners of the issues that everybody is like, wait, gosh, why is it going? Wait, Superman is one, then four, then seven, then eleven. You know, and I. I loved I mean, all the series that we just are talking about coming up before 1994 and beyond actually 2000s. I love the story, story arc approach. It wasn't great from a consumer because now you're buying, you know, four books a month, but this is where a lot of that started. Um, okay. I promise. Last thing. Adventures also gives us, and I'll even give you guys an issue if you want to find it on your own. Wait for it. It's Adventures 440. Okay. This is an awesome interaction with Batman. Oh, uh, yes. This is this is Superman and Batman uh, owning up their their identities, <clears throat> and it's and it's basically Batman calling out Clark because Clark gives him a scrapbook to look into on a, a he he wants him to be a detective, and then and then <laughs> the greatest thing is Batman goes, I mean the only thing I get to do is <laughs> you're Clark Kent, and then. <laughs> First of all, Superman goes, oh, I probably should have given that to the second, the world's second greatest detective. And then, and then he says, all right, see you later, Bruce. And then Batman's like, whoa, what? And then he goes, oh, I guess all that work I did on lead lining my cowl didn't really do a lot. So I just love that interaction. There, like Batman hasn't gone to like full shitty towards Superman. Um, there's still a little bit of looseness. There's a line too where he says, "I don't fully get." I guess your humor eludes me because he he said like, "Oh, it must be a school night. Robin's not joining you tonight, or something like that." I just I love that interaction. I thought it was great writing, and I thought it was fun to see them interact in kind of a a weird way. And it's the first time you really see in this run, all the way through, that Superman knows who Batman is and vice versa. Yeah, no, I'm glad I had forgotten about that, but I'm glad you brought it up because that is a key moment uh, in in, you know, yeah. in their history and, and in this run. Uh, yeah, that was a really, really fun scene. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, <laughs> all right. Is there anything else before we sign off? No, man. Thanks so much for having me. I love doing these with you. It's great. Right on. Thank you very much. My thanks once again to Bernie for joining me to discuss those two runs. We'll be back in one week with part three of Crisis Till Death. Next week, we're taking a little bit of a break from comic book talk and we'll be taking a look at what was going on in Superman animation during this period of time. Specifically, we are going to be taking a deep dive into the 1988 Ruby Spears Superman cartoon. The often overlooked, some might say forgotten, 1988 Ruby Spears cartoon. You might recall that I did a mini episode of Digging for Kryptonite with Rich Roney about that cartoon months and months ago. Um, that was a relatively short discussion where we mostly just talked about how surprised we were that the show existed and we had never known about it. Uh, but for this next episode, I'm going to be joined by returning guest uh, Jeremy Frutkin. Jeremy's done a couple of episodes, including uh, the post-crisis origins installment. Uh, so Jeremy will be back and he and I are, are watching the entire 13-episode run of the cartoon and talking about the series as a whole. Um, again, it's it's somewhat of, of an overlooked entry in the Superman canon, but it, it deserves its place and it deserves to be discussed, and it fits in perfectly uh, right in this period of time that we're talking about here. So you really don't want to miss this one. Part three of Crisis Till Death in one week, taking a look at the 1988 Ruby Spears cartoon. So I hope to see you then, and until then, remember, it's about what you do, it's about action. 
Digging for Kryptonite is a Flat Squirrel production, art by Greg Schiegel, music by Basic Printer. Join the conversation by becoming part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network Facebook group. Follow Digging for Kryptonite on Instagram and Twitter, and visit flatsquirrelproductions.com to explore more of my film and podcast projects.